If you've been enjoying this podcast over weeks or months or even years, I'd be so grateful if you could please leave us a five-star review so others can hear about the show. Thanks so much. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and today I have a guest who I'm so excited to chat to. Lots of you will know, but if you don't, you honestly should. And that is Olia Hercules, who is the most fantastic chef from Ukraine. And her books are, for me, really the most exciting cookbooks that I've come across in recent years because they feel incredibly honest, authentic, but practical and easy. And I've always been crazy about Greek food, but I'm now crazy about Ukrainian. And well, she covers everything, Crimea, Georgia, it's all in here. Her books are really unbelievably readable, unbelievably kind of moving and truthful and beautiful. And I lie in bed and I read them and I lie in the bath and I read them. And they make me want to cook more than any book I've come across in the last year, I would say. Welcome, Olia. It's so lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for such a wonderful introduction and for having me on the podcast. I'm a huge fan. Oh, well, I'm going to explain to everyone how we met. It's kind of crazy. We haven't met before, actually, because we're published by Bloomsbury. And all three of Olia's books, Mamushka was her first, which came out to sort of huge praise. And then uh, Summer Kitchen was her next uh, which is food from the entire area around Ukraine. And and then her new one uh, was How I Met Her, which is Home Food. And we shared a stage actually a few weeks ago at Charleston Literary Festival. And it was just the most um, fantastic chat with Claire Riatnan. And it was just really wonderful to talk because we love the same sort of food, which is picked from the garden, bought inside, cooked very simply, to have family meals and also lots and lots of preserves. And so that's why I really wanted Olia to join us. So Olia, will you explain to us about your background and how you've come to live in London, etc.? Yeah, sure. I arrived in the UK about almost 20 years ago to study at university. Originally, I'm from the south of Ukraine, mm-hmm. where I lived until I was uh, 12, almost 13. So I spent some time in Cyprus as well. And of course, I record some of the recipes from Cyprus in my latest book, uh, which is more of an overview of my life. Mm. Uh, but I studied Italian at university as well. Um, so I spent some time in Italy, in La Marche region and Urbino and also in Sicily. So, and actually that's where I fell in love with food, with cooking more. Yeah, I've always loved eating and my parents and my grandparents and all, my extended family are incredible cooks in Ukraine. Mm. And as you mentioned, we all kind of uh, grew up and lived with loads of homegrown produce. It was just part of our lives, very seasonal food and, and everything kind of uh, cooked from scratch, preserved from scratch. It was quite sustainable living actually, uh, mm. but it was in Italy where... Um, yeah, where my love of uh, cooking was ignited because I don't know, in Ukraine, it's, it's interesting. Perhaps things are changing, but when I was little, it was kind of your mom cooked, but you yeah. were almost kind of like in the way. So, yes, so I, yes. I watched, but I never really cooked with her. But um, in Italy, I saw loads of people of my age, you know, students in, in their early twenties that cooked with such 
ease and passion. And um, I, so I started cooking in my early 20s when I came back to the UK. I worked as a journalist um, in my 20s uh, for a film magazine. And then when the financial crisis happened, I left my job and decided to pursue my hobby, which actually was turning into a, an obsession. So I started to be a chef at uh, Leeds uh, School of Food and Wine and um, then worked in restaurants and um, yeah, ended up writing cookbooks. Mm. And tell us a little bit about Ukraine now and your family. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the news and thank you for asking. It's been the most kind of disturbing and heartbreaking week since the war uh, kind of blew up in, in February. But as I mentioned, I come from the south of Ukraine. So the dam that has been yes. blown up last week, that's my hometown. Mm. So... Gosh. So a lot of the gardens and everything that we'll be talking about is is probably gone. And I don't know if um, wow. if the damage is reversible. I don't think that it is. So it's been really hard to process it all. But uh, we're tough and resilient. And uh, I'm hoping that something can be done once this war is over. But um, it's painful. But it, it's also beautiful to talk about all of those gardens and everything that we grew despite the catastrophe. I hadn't realized it was you. I knew that it was in the uh, southern border, on the Crimean border. I knew that was where you're from, but I hadn't realized it had affected you so directly. Yeah. Sorry for springing that on you like no. that. Yeah. It was, um, yeah. And so the orchards, well, I don't want to, I don't want to um, bring it up really, but so the orchards that you pick from and that your parents nurtured may be underwater. Um, yeah, the, the, well, the town where the dam is called, called Nukahovka is completely mm. underwater. Where we are, um, the water is actually receding from the reservoir. So my parents' house stands. It hasn't been flooded, but there's still, you know, the environmental consequences are going to be uh, dire. Yeah. Gosh, Olya, I'm so, uh, I'm so sorry. Um, Food. Let's talk about food, which we both share as a passion to as to bring us comfort. And and your book, Home Food, is its subtitle is Recipes to Comfort and Connect, which is kind of uh, exactly what we're talking about. And um, I know with you now, even though you have a tiny garden in London, it plays the same role as it does for me here, uh, which is that I reconnect to the place by picking supper. And coming in and 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 cooking or just preparing something like a salad that I've just picked. So, will you talk a little bit about the importance of the of the outside to the inside, rather than going to the shops, but actually just even if it's a tiny herb or why it's so important to you to grow some of it? Of course, um, I think when you're involved in in the process, it kind of penetrates your soul almost in a very different and profound way, whether it's um, you're painting something at home or mm. redecorating your house or something, it becomes a part of you. And I think that's the same with food, uh, the same with growing. Yeah. Um, when you spend time with, um, you know, especially I think if you're planting from seed, there's some, um, uh, there's a really uh, kind of profound connection that you have um, with whatever grows and it tastes, it certainly tastes better anyway, I think, because, uh, you know, it's, it's most probably seasonal and uh, mm. has been said by the, the water and the sun around you, but also uh, you having put that time in makes it so much more soulful and nourishing. Yes. 
Absolutely. And, and more connecting, as you say. And one of the things that I learned from you when we were talking together at Charleston was the thing of picking a black currant leaf and putting it into a jar of pickles. And there is some chemical reaction between the black, what's in the black currant leaf and the vinegar, which makes whatever you're pickling more crunchy. It's just brilliant. I'd never heard that. And I just sort of feel like I've read so much about this kind of thing. Um, yeah, I'm not sure about vinegar. I'm sure that it, the tannins, uh, so it's the tannins in the blackcurrant leaf that help crunchy vegetables preserve their, their cell structure. Mm. Uh, we do, we mostly do fermentation. So kind of brine pickling. And that's when yeah. we use, um, the blackcurrant uh. leaves. And, and they're yes. so important that we've, uh, one of the first things that we've planted in my tiny London garden were blackcurrant bushes. So we've got four <laughs> of them. And, wow. um, yeah, so I use them in my, uh, in my, uh, salt brine, uh, kind of pickling. Yeah. Fabulous. So that could take us on to the first recipe that we were going to chat about, which is something that, again, I was immediately inspired to want to rush back and, and make, which is, Olia talked about fermenting tomatoes, which is, I grow really huge quantities and, and huge numbers of different varieties of tomatoes here. I'm longing for Olia to come. But you, you talk about fermenting them, so they become kind of fizzy and, and like champagne. Yeah, yeah, my mom calls them champagne tomatoes. Mm. Um, so traditionally they would have been fermented in huge quantities in big wooden barrels. So, um, you know, my mom and my aunt still remembers from their childhood, you know, you'd go into the cellar to kind of pick something up. I don't know. You needed some, you know, clamp potatoes or something and you mm. inevitably would pass by this barrel and kind of dive in and, yes. you know, fish one out and eat it because they're just so irresistible <sighs> and the process is actually very simple i know that people can feel a little bit wary of fermentation you know it feels alive and and maybe even a little bit scary sometimes but it's literally just creating a salt brine mm. you know i go for about eight percent ten percent brine if i'm if i'm doing tomatoes just to season them uh really well as well as pickle them and you just pop the tomatoes in and uh, we would maybe add something like a couple of horseradish leaves, uh, maybe some um, uh, lovage or celery leaves, um, some sliced or whole garlic cloves, mm. uh, a couple of peppercorns, and maybe a, a couple of allspice berries. And then you put the tomatoes in and, um, you know, if, if you are a master fermenter, if you work with sourdough, your biome and, and your house is probably good enough to just kind of leave it almost open like my, my parents did in those wooden barrels or containers or whatever. Yes. But if you are somewhere in the city kitchen or somewhere where you don't do much of this pickling, put them in a jar and close the lid. And if it's uh, super hot, like now within two days, you will see the brine will become opaque. Mm. And that's a good sign. That means that all of the bacteria and the yeasts are starting to work. And then, you know, and then you just taste it. You just fish it out, taste the tomato. And I would recommend, I think in the UK, if you don't grow them, that uh, if you have to buy them, cherry tomatoes are really good. Mm. But if, if you grow just any tomatoes that you, that you have are fantastic. And then you pop them in your mouth and yes, it will burn in this fizzy, sweet and sour and umami burst mm. of, of flavor. And they're just absolutely incredible. And we eat them as a pickle, or you can also add them 
to a borscht. This is a Ukrainian mm. beetroot uh, soup that we make or into a sauce or, you know, just use your imagination and use them in creative ways because they're just so versatile. And of course, the brine you can keep and keep reusing like a sourdough starter. Mm. So with each time you use the remainder of the brine, it develops more and more flavor. So each fermentation uh, kind of batch is more and more flavorsome. And of course, if people have um, tomatoes that are green and maybe at the end of the season and are, are yes. not becoming ripe, they are also fantastic for fermenting. In this case, it, you know, if they're green and hard, I would sl make four, uh, two slashes in them and stuff some chili, sliced chilies, garlic and celery leaf in them and put them into this brine. And they, you know, remain firm, but also a little bit fizzy and pickly and delicious. Wow, that's so good. So that recipe is in Mamushka, which was your first cookbook. So just to be clear, there are three of these wonderful cookbooks, which I did mention, but uh, Mamushka was her first, which came out, what, five or six years ago? Uh, yeah, seven years ago. I actually have four cookbooks. The the, the ah. green tomato is in the Georgian one called Caucasus. That's my second cookbook. Ah, okay. But yeah, but all of them have um, <laughs> fermentation kind of recipes yeah. and, um, and, you know, kind of uh, essays about growing and about uh, seasonality because that's a huge part of my culture. Yeah. Another recipe that I found incredibly exciting was the using beetroot leaves, which funnily enough, I've just come back from the West Coast of Scotland and I was given these absolutely beautiful beetroot with the leaves left on. And as I was handed them, the, the guy said to me, Sarah, have you got any good recipes uh, for the beetroot tops? <laughs> and I said, well, yes, you know, I, I use them like the Greeks do with hazelnuts and a bit of tahini and yogurt and just serve them with the roots. But this, where they're stuffed, will you, will you talk us through that recipe? Yeah, of course. Um, so in Ukraine, we have a big tradition, uh, which kind of probably has roots, you know, in, in Turkic and Greek cuisine. So we stuff, um, all different leaves, uh, with either meat or rice or even you know, vegetarian kind of buckwheat and mushroom fillings. Mm. And I've come across this recipe, which is a little bit unusual. Like my, my grandmother, for example, used cabbage leaves. She never used beetroot leaves, mm. but I've come across this recipe in Western Ukraine in the, actually, interestingly, in the Ukrainian equivalent of Scottish highlands in oh. um uh, yeah in the mountains and um, the woman that i interviewed um said well look we make holopsia with these um beetroot leaves and actually you know because they grow loads of beetroots and you have this excess of leaves and they, yeah. they're all really big and she says that traditionally they would actually leave them in the sun in the summer to wilt Oh, you know, which is kind of yes. handy because we, we get them wilted already quite a lot. Yeah. So they soften a little bit. And then in my book, I use a vegetarian filling of, uh, you can use any grain really, but buckwheat is quite good and, mm. and some mushrooms and caramelized uh, carrots and onions. Uh, but you can really be creative with it. And then you roll them up and then you cook them in a um, tomato sauce. So in, in, in the mm. summer, we probably use really ripe uh, big tomatoes and grate them and then mix a little bit of creme fraiche, creme fraiche through the yes. tomato and cook the beetroot leaves, the stuffed beetroot leaves in this creme fraiche, tomato-y, garlicky sauce. And it's, they're just absolutely delicious. Amazing. And if you weren't veggie, I guess you could use a, a sort of pork uh, and rice yeah. mix. Yeah. So you could, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Any meat. Yeah. We, we, we use pork and uh, beef uh, mixture sometimes. Pork for a little bit of fat in this beef for, you know, the flavor. And yeah. then, um, but yeah, you can, you can use anything you like. Absolutely. And then another, another recipe before we move off uh, Mamushka that I would love you to talk about is where you're linking 
well, it's a pasta, but it's Ukrainian pasta. But you, having spent so much time in Italy, I just find these recipes really inspiring. It's kind of North meets Southern Europe, and um, mm-hmm. they're just wonderful. Will you talk a little bit about them? Yeah, sure. So the Ukrainian pasta recipes, like vareniki, which I think you, you um, mm. are in Mamushka. I wonder if they came with with Italian ability through Poland, maybe in, in you know historically. But yeah, it's it's a huge part of Ukrainian identity. I think these dumplings. Um, so just to describe it, uh, yeah. them to the readers, some of them are kind of like half moon shaped, yeah. uh, quite small, and uh, it's very similar to uh, Polish pierogi, but much thinner dough. I find in my experience, at least, or, or the way that my mom makes them. Yeah, they're all they're as delicate as ravioli, mm. and we have all sorts of. Uh, fillings which are mostly vegetarian i've only ever come across uh liver or other offal that would have been used in dumplings in in terms of meat um in terms of varenike but um yeah so we'd use something like um potato and curd cheese and spring onion uh filling or this cheese that we call sir which is i guess it's quite similar to quark like a fresh yes. homemade cheese made from sour milk which which is salted and added with a little bit of egg yolk which actually um yeah i've cooked uh, quite a few ravioli from sardinia and um and they're quite similar similar to those as well but they're delicious and i think my mom's um vareniki was filled with this salted cheese is yeah. my kind of like last day on earth dish that okay. I, I would have before yeah oh. or before i'm cast off to a desert island or whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and i mean i i just i love the photographs in all your books and Tell us, I mean, I know your husband has done the photographs for your last book, but, but te- that's how, is that how you met him? Uh, so Joe Woodhouse, my, my husband, who is a fantastic um, food photographer and a food writer as well, actually. Yeah, we met through work, not um, necessarily my, my, you know, through my books, but um, we were yeah. in the same industry, so we met at a everything and fell in love pretty much immediately but um yeah he's shot both summer kitchens and home food the two books that i wrote for bloomsbury yeah and um yeah poor long-suffering uh joe you know how usually with cookbooks you set out a week and you have to you know like smash it out and do all of the recipes in that one week and with home food i kind of made him work for about a year and a half right. just <laughs> taking photos in many places but it's um but there are there are photos from Kahovka from my hometown so it it I'm really grateful to him for doing so much and shooting in Ukraine the last time that we were there it means a lot yeah yeah because it's like a, as you say it's like a sort of memoir isn't it really this book yeah and link link to that um of course uh, foraging is massively part of the culture that you've come from and mm. you've continued it since you've been here. And of course, one of the things that's incredibly easy to forage in this country is wild garlic. So I wondered if you'd uh, tell us about the recipe that what you would do with wild garlic once you've picked it. Yeah, sure. Sadly, quite a lot of foraging, actually traditional foraging has been lost in Ukraine. Um, I think more in kind of like remote mountain areas, the loads of traditions were preserved, but in the south where I'm from, you know, mushrooms would be the thing. The recipe that you're referring to of wild garlic is actually Armenian. Mm. And uh, connection I have um, uh, one of my aunties, uh, my, my dad's cousin is half Armenian, half Ukrainian. And um and in Caucasus, they still do have uh, the tradition. And it's not just wild garlic. There's so many wild herbs that I'd never 
heard of that you can just find at a regular market, I don't know, in the Belize or something or uh, in Yerevan. But the, the recipe that I mentioned is very simple, actually. It's, um, it's wild garlic, uh, wilted and dressed in a little bit of uh, vinegar mm. and salt, you know, and, and there's, um, there's a beauty in, uh, in recipes like that. And actually, uh, out of season, I think uh, the beetroot leaves that we mentioned before would be really ni- nice uh, cooked that way as yeah. well. Just with your beetroot and dress them in, in your best vinegar that you can find, some nice raw cider vinegar or something, a little bit of salt, maybe a tiniest pinch of sugar or honey, and um, it's a delicious little side dish slash pickle. Yeah, yeah, fabulous. And I mean, you say in the introduction that you can use nettles and goosefoot and purslane and sickleweed and marshmallow. I mean, all those are things that in a way we consider to be weeds, but but you're harvesting them and eating them. And I imagine they're incredibly nutritious as well. And cooked like this would retain so much of their goodness, I would think. Uh, Fantastic. And then also uh, with gluts in mind, with it being sort of high summer now or coming up for high summer, I love the whole culture of fritters and and just sort of using almost whatever, whatever season it is in the winter, using cabbage, in the summer using courgettes, you know, in the autumn using squash. But again, that's very much part of the Ukrainian kitchen, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um we love we love a little fried thing that's for sure yeah. i mean they are, they are fantastic things to eat and and actually quite simple we uh, in ukraine use a mixture almost like a pancake mixture quite a lot to make fritters mm. so egg a little bit of uh, milk uh, and a bit of flour in my recipe i think in home food i may be using buckwheat flour just because yeah. um, uh, you know we eat wheat and, uh, and i love it but i also love the nuttiness that it adds and also um, just to get a little bit bit of a break from wheat i think it's a it's a nice uh, flour to use but yeah so we, we just mix any absolutely any vegetable there's um there's a really nice uh, recipe in summer kitchens for cauliflower fritters which you'd mm. kind of plunge quickly just to make them just a little bit softer then you would dip it into this uh, essentially a pancake batter and um and shallow fry them in the pan and then um home food there's the recipe that you mentioned is the uh, the cabbage recipe which we're just slice really thinly and add maybe you can add a little bit of garlic through it or serve it with a creme fraiche and garlic sauce and yeah. also mix with egg and uh, and a little bit of flour and then just um fry these little flat fritters which are just delicious and my kids adore them yeah i bet so i guess uh, as as we near the end i wondered if i could pick a pudding and you could pick a pudding from any of your books really but the thing that sort of for high summer epitomizes uh, for you, the food, well, as you say, your last supper. <laughs> but you want a sweet thing? Yeah, I think so. So high summer for us. So I've mentioned the varenike, the dumplings. And apart from the veggie and the awful fillings, we also make them sweet. Oh. And for that, we use a slightly different dough. You, you can use a, ne- a regular pasta dough as well, but I like adding a little bit of a raising agent to the dough. So either a little bit of yeast or mm. a little bit of baking soda. Yeah. And then you fill them very simply just with the best fruit that you have in your garden seasonally. So right now it would be strawberry 
strawberries. Yeah. So you just cut a couple of strawberries into pieces, stuff them inside the little circle of the, mm-hmm. of the dough, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a tiny bit of sprinkling of sugar, but not necessary. Close them up, steam them. Mm-hmm. So they puff up like little Chinese bao ba- buns mm-hmm. almost. And then wow. you serve them tossed in uh, melted butter. And, you know, in the eighties, my mom would probably sprinkle it with sugar, but now I use yeah. ma- maple syrup for my children and serve with just a little bit of uh, full fat yogurt and um they're Fabulous. delicious and yeah and if anybody has sour cherries or, or cherries yes. uh, they also work so beautifully oh fantastic well i chose uh, the baked apples because that's such a sort of traditional english glut recipe but i love the idea of stuffing it with ricotta because i always do the sort of classic with nuts and raisins and a bit of honey yeah. or sugar or whatever. But I love the idea of the lightness of the ricotta and making it more celebratory in a way. So I'm definitely going to copy this one. But will you just talk us talk us through how to do that? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's my, my grandmother, Vera, would make it for us all the time. And um, in Ukraine, as I said, would use this quark uh, kind of mm. cheese called sir. But I think you can absolutely substitute it with ricotta. And she would mix it with a little bit of y- egg yolk and yes. some sugar and uh, perhaps a few raisins and vanilla. And uh, yeah. you'd stuff this mixture into the apples and you'd bake them. I think she she would put them into quite a high kind of temperature oven. Yeah. So they would almost, the, the we would use those yellow apples. I don't know what the equivalent, maybe a kind of a golden delicious type apple yeah. or something like so that, a, a sweet, Ukrainian variety. A sweet, sweet apple. Yeah. yeah. And uh, as they bake, the, uh, the skins would kind of... Uh, pop and almost yeah. separate and the flesh of the apples would become really fluffy and almost souffle like mm. and the top of the cheese with all of that sugar would caramelize and that was our favorite bit yeah. <laughs> and you know as kids would fight for the for the little topping but yeah they were absolutely delicious yeah gosh well so many rich and wonderful ideas and thank you olia for joining us at such a difficult difficult time i couldn't be more grateful and her books honestly they really are things to take on holiday. They're quite heavy, but they're <laughs> something that you could read anywhere and you'll be completely gripped in the tale of her life and her food and her family. And it will get us all to understand what's going on much more from the inside out rather than this sort of bird's eye view that we get all the time on the news. So thank you, Olia, very, very much. And it's lovely to talk. Thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to talk about Ukraine and its beautiful nature and people. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Grow Cookie to Range and hearing the story of Olya and a little bit about Ukraine. Next week, I'm joined by a pair of sisters, a duet of sisters, Connie and Jessie Booth, who have a party event organizer business called Jurassic uh, because they're based in Dorset on the Jurassic Coast. And we're going to talk about growing your own party, the flowers and the food. And what are the best plants to do wonderful homegrown flower arrangements and wonderful homegrown food. See them. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes we talk about on this podcast by heading to the show notes or at sarahraven.com forward slash podcast.